0: Hi, this is Sake Brahman from the Orthoclips podcast series. And today we're gonna to be talking about managing infected fractures. And with me, I have uh, Dr. David Loewenberg, who's Clinical Professor of Orthopedic Surgery at the Stanford University School of Medicine. He's also Emeritus Chief of Orthopedic Trauma and recent past president of the OTC International and the US-based Foundation for Orthopedic Trauma. Welcome Dr. Lowerberg, thanks for coming.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
0: Great, well, we're gonna be talking about managing infected fractures. So my first question is, how did you become an expert in this field? Uh, Was there maybe a particular patient case or series of events that uh, shaped your career path?
1: Um not a particular case, not a particular patient, not a particular event. Um, I was always interested in infections and came up with ideas to deal with them because I didn't think there was anything great in the late 1980s uh, to treat infections. Um, I then learned about the Ilizarov method and was fascinated with the concepts. It was really not known in North America then, but they established three independent trips through Smith and Nephew and uh, actually the U.S. government to go into the Soviet Union to Kurgan to learn about this. The first trip, each trip was, uh, was made up of 10 docks that they they allowed to go because so it was difficult to get in the soviet union it was a six-month credentialing process to do it for them to vet you and the town that it was at was where dr El-Zarov had his institute um there hadn't really been americans in there since world war ii so the first group went and there was some a little bit of clamor and i think group was accepted and we spent time at this hospital in the middle of Kurgon which was actually at the time the largest orthopedic hospital in the world with a thousand beds and 50 ORs that did one procedure and it really sparked my interest in better ways to treat infections what then really tipped it over the edge was when I got to meet someone who became a very very close friend it was George Cierney. and George I really credit as being the father of um, current day osteomyelized surgery he could document the care of a 3,600 cases of osteo, chronic osteo. No one will ever do that again. Um, I was uh, honored. His wife asked me to write his obituary with um, Dickie Jones, who was another close friend of George's. And uh, two weeks before George's passing, we were on the phone, and he said to me, Dave, I'm passing the torch to you. Don't let it burn out. So. I've been honored with that uh, statement by him and that's what I'm trying to do. The other person who was a huge influence was Harry Bunky, the father of microsurgery, who's a close friend. I worked with him for years. I still co-direct the Bunky Microsurgical Research Lab. And those two things together really pushed me in this field.
0: Interesting story. And... um... Good for uh, some of the young surgeons to kind of hear, hear that. Um, So getting to osteomyelitis surgery, what, what are some of the most common mistakes you see still being made with the management of infected fractures that you want our listeners to hear about?
1: I think that's a real important question. One is I, I, I see a lot of mistakes made, not, you know, once a month, but one or two a week that get sent in. And they're not from just my area. They're from around the country. In the last couple of months, I've seen plenty from the East Coast where I get contacted. And there are a few common themes. One is lack of inexperience by the doc. Some of these docs who are treating it, are very well-known people. Everyone listening would know their name, but they dabble in something and they think this is no big deal, it's just an infection. So the first mistake they make is they think all osteomyelitis is the same and you can treat it the same. Therefore, they never stage it. And uh, as you'll see in the symposium next Saturday, there is no way you can correctly treat a chronic osteomyelitis unless you stage it. It's just technically impossible. So I see commonly uh, people with a stage three or stage four, Surinima osteomyelitis being treated as if it's a stage one, because that's the way the doc knows how to do everything, one method. And they act surprised when it fails miserably. And actually many times, When you do these, if you don't do it right early, you actually make it worse. You kill more bone, more soft tissue. You've just fed the bacteria. The second thing is the indiscriminate and non-logical use of antibiotics. It just sickens the patient more and makes them a worse host. Uh, Those are two of the big issues. The other is not a clear understanding of how to properly debride nausea myelitis. And part of that goes back to the first statement. They never staged it to determine what it was. And these aren't rare occurrences. These are common occurrences.
0: Um, Good to know. One thing, um, oh, I do want to make a plug for what you mentioned, the uh, Philadelphia Orthopedic Trauma Symposium coming up this Saturday, June 12th. You can hear from Dr. Lohenberg, uh and others. He'll be doing a session on managing infected fractures. You can go to orthoclips.com or temple.edu slash CME to learn more about the program and how to register. Um, so with those mistakes in mind, what are some of your tips for the best use of local antibiotics? Um, thinking about um, what to use in materials like um, polymethyl methacrylate. I get asked sometimes, when do you use calcium sulfate? Um, how long should local antibiotics be used for? Um, yeah. What, what are your, what are your tips for that?
1: Well, I've been through a whole array of things. I was uh, trained by Floyd Jurgensen. Floyd was probably, if not the first, one of the first people in certainly North America to work and perfect, to some extent, local antibiotic delivery via antibiotic irrigation methods, the Jurgensen tubes. I did that in my training and did that early in my career, but I found it rather not as good as it could be. Um, since then, I mean, Floyd started that in the 60s. It's come and gone, come and gone, come and gone, all in different variants, but they're all the same, really, with a common theme, just a little twist and a technique here and there. But it's once again, orthopedic surgery, you keep going around in a wheel and reinvent things that aren't new. I don't think that's the solution. I haven't done any local antibiotic irrigation methods in, oh, pushing 30 years easily. I, I'm going, all, going with all the don'ts first. The next is all the ceramic um, bone growth. I mean, bone substitute materials that are out there. Um, they're all the same. They all claim they're different. They're not different. They have um, at least one but probably realistically two unifying issues which make them a bad delivery system. The first is that all these substances, it's difficult to get them to polymerize. So the people who manufacture them and make them you know, spent time with good chemists or, or uh, chemical engineers to get this balance to make them polymerize. What you need in a proper local antibiotic delivery system is a method that can achieve a thousand fold the MIC concentration, which you can never get systemically. The reason I say that's very simple. We have a basic science lab in studying musculoskeletal infections, Derek Amantula and I. And the data is crystal clear that when a bacteria goes into a sessile phase of growth, normal concentrations of antibiotic don't even get into the biofilm, nor do they have an effect on the sessile phase of growth. You have to be at least a thousand fold greater than that. That's a reason when people ask me, did you check the MIC? I go, hell, I don't even look at an MIC. It doesn't mean anything. It's a completely illogical, um, inaccurate way of dealing with something that is not in a planktonic phase of growth because it has no bearing whatsoever. So there is no way with these synthetics uh, absorbables that you can get enough of a concentration into the material to allow it to elute over time and still let it polymerize. They're stuck there. So until they can fix that, I see no basis for their use in this day and age right now in clinical practice. If that changes, I'd be open to seeing the change, but there would also need to be a change in somehow controlling the serous production that tends to occur, which can disrupt wounds with it as well. Then suddenly we're back down to PMMA. Um, PMMA, for bang for your buck, remains the best substance you can use. The reason is you can get a very high concentration of antibiotic into PMMA and it still polymerizes just fine. In fact, you can get up to 20 grams of antibiotic powder into a 40 gram batch of PMMA before, it, and when you cross 20, that tends to not polymerize but your concentrations are really astronomical. Um, George and I both abandoned, actually many years ago now, the use of aminoglycosides in local antibiotic delivery. They're too nephrotoxic. So we use other agents. Um, But to this day, I still use PMMA because there's nothing out there I found that works as well and remains safe.
0: I actually um, saw an article in the JBJS American uh, a month ago uh, I think it was May 5th looking at acute kidney injury treating periprosthetic joint infections after total knees with uh, antibiotic loaded spacers and um that a not insignificant number of AKIs it was like 14% in patients who had no pre-existing kidney disease and if you had any kind of pre-existing kidney disease you know, the, the, the rate went up to like 45%. And that was with um, Vanco and aminoglycosides in their mixtures. Um, and uh, I guess you mentioned you're not, you're not using aminoglycosides, I guess, for the similar reason.
1: It's back to the, the old wheels being circulated again. We went through this. I saw many people go into renal failure due to aminoglycoside, local antibiotic delivery. Originally, when we were first seeing it, it was through tube irrigations because it was uh, uh, canamycin and polymyxin. And it doesn't take much in someone who's older to push them over the edge. If you go to the literature and look at all the case report series on local antibiotic delivery nephrotoxicity, they all included neoglycoside except for two articles. Two, in the abstract, say it's vancomycin-induced. However, if you get beyond reading the abstract and read the body of the article, those patients all had aminoglycoside in the antibiotic mixture as well. When George and I discontinued aminoglycosides and we still use, uh, we, well, the, 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 I still use vancomycin as GP until his death and with other agents, neither one of us up until his demise and uh, to me till the present have seen a single case of amino, of um, nephrotoxicity from the delivery methods we use. So this is just a, an article in JBJS rehashing something that's been beaded around for years, but we're, we're making the circle again.
0: Do you have a, a good reference you would recommend for surgeons looking for um... Appropriate antibiotics to use in their uh, local delivery?
1: Um, yes, there was an ist- issue of techniques in orthopedics. The um, journal that Bruce Browner is the editor-in-chief of um, that I, I was guest editor for to, uh, in, in memory of George as a tribute to him. And it was by Reiner Schnettler and Volker Alt. It was Techniques in Orthopedics, Volume 30, the December issue of 2015. Has a very nice um, article outlining antibiotics that can be used. And uh, one of the pet things is when you hear someone ask, oh, well, is that antibiotic heat stable in cement? Well, if you're using the concentrations we like to use to get these dosages, it doesn't, it's, it's a moot question because the antibiotic doesn't get hot enough to matter.
0: Okay. Interesting. Um, well, let's move on. What, what are some of the other management principles and techniques that have changed, uh, the most for you in your practice, let's say over the last 10 years or so.
1: Um, if one, if, if any, yeah. Well, one that hasn't is the basic principles George came up with, not me. You have to create a living wound and the order of treatment of proper debridement and um, eradication of infection, as chronic osteomyelitis is a surgical disease, combined with dead space management and soft tissue reconstruction, and lastly, bone reconstruction. You have to go in that order. You can't skip a step unless it wasn't a problem, which is rarely the case. So what has changed is one thing at our institution is I was able to put together a very coordinated system working with our ID docs. There are only three ID docs that are trained in Skeletal ID. I had that fortunate to be able to train them and so the dictum from the chair of id is uh, those three will be the only ones that see these patients because they understand it and understand when antibiotics are needed and not needed that is huge the other thing is i've learned to have almost not i wouldn't say a disregard but for a lack of care of whether of, of the specifics of the microbe causing the infection we have a an algorithm method where all we're looking for is is the infection predominantly prokaryotic, fungal, or mycobacterial. And from those three data points, the treatment does not change. And the cure rate remains over 98%. I think what has changed is my appreciation for the fact that probably very little, if any infections are one organism. It makes no sense why they should be. We can only culture a small fraction of microbes that exist on earth in any medical microbiology lab. And with the better DNA technology, it's come very clear, almost all infections are polymicrobial.
0: Okay, interesting. Um, Well, I wanna ask one more question before we wrap up, which is, um, which advancements or changes, uh, one of them you might've hinted at, do you foresee happening in the next five to 10 years in this field?
1: I see one big thing. It's, it's more of a hope than whether I know it will be a reality. And that's that the thing I've been pushing for a number of years, and I know George felt the same way and my ID docs do is we have to get away from the just totally inappropriate and rampant use of antibiotics to treat this problem. They simply do not work. Systemic antibiotics will never cure a case of chronic osteomyelitis. They will change it. They can suppress it. But we're talking cure here, not covering up. And the rampant use of antibiotics into our environment is something that's a huge, probable, huge health problem. Probably not for me, but certainly for my grandkids. The London School of Tropical Medicine and Epidemiology, as well as the CDC, have both predicted that by the year 2050, the leading cause of death in the world won't be cancer, won't be trauma, won't be dysentery, none of those things. It's gonna be death secondary to multi drug resistant organisms. So we need to change now. And I think the treatments are gonna to have to change where we don't use antibiotics. There are gonna be better treatments for this, such as short chain RNA to talk to microbes and just put them to sleep and get along with them. And I think that's where the future is. Is it five years? Is it 10 years? I don't know. 10 years ago, I thought it would be by now. I'm wrong, but I'm hopeful in the future. That's where we will go.
0: All right. Very, very interesting stuff. And uh, we um, look forward to hearing more from you again at uh, this Saturday's orthopedic trauma symposium, which is a webinar online. You can go to OrthoClips.com to get more information on the program. And register. Uh, we've been talking with uh, Dr. David Lowenberg on management of infected fractures. David, it's been a pleasure. Uh, real interesting stuff. Thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Sak. look forward to next week.